Welcome to Impact Unicorns, the podcast where you meet inspirational entrepreneurs building the next generation of transformative companies. And now, here is your host, Dr. Internil Ghosh. Award-winning author, investor, and advisor to global leaders. Welcome to this week's episode of Impact Unicorns. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Keith Hulbert to the show. Like many of our impact investors, Keith caught the startup bug midway through his professional career. After a series of early roles at U.S. utilities like Progress Energy and Lakeland Electric, Keith impressed as a commercial leader and rose to VP of Infrastructure and Transport of Serco, a six billion managed services company specializing in providing performance and financial expertise to support government and commercial sectors worldwide. In 2010, Keith struck out into his entrepreneurial career by founding Cadence, an energy and infrastructure developer, operator, and consultancy. As president, Keith oversaw many transformative projects such as a FERC licensed hydro plant in Alaska, as well as acting as general manager and CFO at ePellets, a developer and operator of biomass pellets, which produces industrial grade biomass pellets exported to European industrial and utility customers. At ePellets, Keith planned, developed, and financed a 450,000 megaton biomass pellet manufacturing plant, as well as delivering the acquisition and expansion of 150,000 megaton pellet plant as well. Now, in 2018, Keith joined EnviroPower, a developer and operator of waste energy gasification systems and plastics to liquid facilities. As governments become increasingly strict on unsustainable approaches to waste management through through incineration and landfill, EnviroPower's clean gasification technology has a very important role to play in the upcoming energy transition. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, Keith, you had a long and illustrious career. Tell us a little bit about how you became an impact entrepreneur. What prompted you to leave some of the very successful and comfortable corporate roles you had early on to drive your own initiatives? Well, it really started back in my formative years in the utility industry. Uh, Back then, we were fully integrated utility systems. They've already changed dramatically in many markets. And the market focus was already starting to turn um, about 10 to 15 years ago away from traditional baseload fossil fuels into other distributive energy sources and renewable sources. Uh, The UK and the EU were steps ahead of where the US markets were and already starting to address Uh, bringing more renewables in to replace fossil fuels, as well as uh, looking for innovative solutions to reduce their waste and landfills, uh, which were prevalent in their societies. And that's what really led me to uh, EnviroPower. Very good. And even before EnviroPower, I think you were focused on sustainability, because if I look at the work that you did uh, in your prior role, you were working on uh, pellets and hydropower. 
It's not that you sort of stumbled into the world of sustainability. You've been a stalwart uh, and, and a forerunner in that space. Yes, uh, the pellet industry was very interesting because it was a replacement for a fuel source to try to create a cleaner fuel product versus surface coal or uh, various forms of coal that are out there. And that does play a mix. And I'm a staunch believer that there's no one solution for the energy markets. It's going to be a blended solution, uh, solar, wind, hydro, uh, waste to energy facilities are all going to play a role in this. And everyone's got to play their various roles to keep the ever fragile grids up and operational, much like the consumers and the businesses expected to be every day. That's right. I think you touch on some of the, the, the bigger picture here, which is important. I mean, as we have more intermittent renewables entering the grid, we need, on the one hand, more steady base load that's renewable whether it's geothermal or some sort of a biomass-based form of generation. We also need to fortify the grid itself with storage, better interconnections, so we can move the renewable energy from where it's produced to where it's demanded, often hundreds if not thousands of miles away, and keep the whole grid in balance at every point in space and time, this is not not an, uh, you know, a, a simple a challenge as just producing a lot of renewable energy. There's a lot more to it. And I think that's why um, we need to take a very holistic view of things. So, you know, waste can be um, not just something to be gotten rid of, but a valuable source of energy because whether it's plastics or agri-waste or cardboard boxes, it has organic content which has often been produced from petrochemicals, which has therefore used oil. And if it's incinerated, we just go into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide. But if you reuse it at least once more in form to transform it into energy or some form of other useful liquid product or other product, then at least the sum abatement. And yes, it might be a transitional approach to uh, getting us through the next uh, 30 or 40 years before we're fully green, but it would be an important contribution. So I think EnviroPower sort of built on this foundation. So tell us a little bit about um, one or two of the projects that you're looking at, the, the early ones, um, sure. and the bigger sort of macro context in which you know, your approach to waste energy fits. Yeah, absolutely. So the issue is prevalent just about in all the developed countries that each one of us produces approximately one ton of waste per year. Um, and that's as individuals, not as households. And when you look at those numbers, it's very difficult for communities or countries to start to eliminate landfills without coming up with a solution of what are we going to do with this waste. And while there's been progress on recycling, uh, very few products actually do get recycled at the end of the day. There is definitely recycling for metals. Uh, tin cans or metal cans that are used for uh, consumption purposes, and some uh, water bottles or uh, soda-type bottles. But beyond that, there's very little uh, recycling that really eliminates the waste stream. So what we've done at uh, EnviroPower is we set out the objectives that we needed to develop a utility-grade baseload performing 
plant that would last for a 30-year life that could use these waste streams in an effective manner. We're very familiar with incineration. Um, I actually had the opportunity to uh, operate a co-fired coal and waste plant in the early years. And back then it was evident that the waste was a real problem because we really didn't understand how to transform that into energy. There's very good forms of it these days, but incineration still has its challenges. Incineration of waste um, still does not achieve the um, air standards we're looking for or complete conversion of that waste. And we have a much more effective solution with gasification. So we're looking to take waste in, uh, take the metals out of it ahead of time, which most MRFs do, and then the remaining waste can all be gasified very effectively and achieve the air permit standards and actually operate as clean, if not cleaner, than the equivalent size natural gas fired plants for the air atmosphere. And these are plants that can be built for 30 years very reliably. And in our later projects, we add a further separation where we take out the plastics because of the various grades of plastics we could put that through a gasifier and create electricity, but a better form of that is to convert that back into its original form of fuel. And the advantage to that is we can convert plastic waste into ultra low sulfur forms of fuel, which would be compliant for transatlantic and transpacific shipping purposes or surface transportation purposes and reduce greenhouse gases from the atmosphere through both applications. Well, that's a very flexible technology and there's always a value to flexibility. Can you talk us through a couple of your projects? Because I understand sure. you have some in Scotland where there's a very unique regulatory cliff for waste, incineration, waste uh, put into landfill and even waste importation, exportation, which creates a unique opportunity. And some of your North American uh, projects uh, have this flavor of producing uh, useful um, fuels uh, like low, ultra low sulfur uh, shipping fuel. So there's, there's yes. quite a variety and diversity within your project portfolio, all coming from a, from a very similar technology at the front end. Very similar technology. So on the front end, uh, our first project that we are moving forward with is in Scotland. And it's a, what I would classify a very small to 27 and a half megawatt waste to energy facility using a rotating kiln gas fire. And these gas fires are all commercial off the shelf. All the technology we're using is commercial off the shelf. We do have enhancements to these, uh, which actually improve the efficiency and in, improve the reliability of these plants to make them utility grade for baseload generation purposes. That the plant in Scotland will help satisfy uh, the needs of what the country is looking for because there is mandates to close the landfills within Scotland and an overarching commitment to move towards 100% renewable generation. Uh, in addition, uh, up till now, uh, the UK has been an exporter of some fuel sources to other countries that use some waste for 
uh, central heating districts. And those restrictions are uh, frowned upon in the future. Uh, what the Scotland government is looking to do is self-contain their own waste streams and deal with it and create renewable electricity to make it a closed and a circular economy. Um, and our waste energy facility is going to be a critical role in that in the future. In the case of uh, some of our North American projects, our very next one, uh, we will be importing plastic waste. Uh, now, it's not completely separated, uh, so it'll come with biomass materials and plastics, and we're looking to bring it to a port site or an uh, ocean-going site that we can develop a deep water port in Canada. Uh, the waste will be separated where we'll take the plastics, convert it into low, ultra low sulfur diesel fuel sources and sell that to the shipping industry and to uh, the other surface transportation industries. With the biomass material that comes out of that process, we'll convert that into waste to energy and sell that back to the public power utility in that particular case. There's some added benefits to the community because in this particular market that we are looking for, uh, there's an objective for sustainability of growing additional fruits and vegetables within their market. So adjacent to the plant site, we will be releasing um, excess heat that we would normally vent uh, that uh, is not necessary in our process and move that heat over to greenhouses. So there could be vertical growth uh, taking place and meet their national and provincial uh, objectives to create sustainable fruits and vegetables for their, their own communities and stop the imports or minimize the imports in the future. If you're enjoying Impact Unicorns, don't forget to like, subscribe and hit the bell to receive notifications of new shows to bring the most relevant impact venture stories to the podcast. If you would like to review the show, go to the Apple Podcast mobile app or iTunes to leave a rating and review. You know, I'm really very impressed with the Scottish uh, project in particular because I was uh, lucky enough to be up in Scotland just the week before COP26 and uh, was there with several Scottish enterprise development agencies and just saw the, um, the, the, the whole uh, sort of entrepreneurial and investor push up there behind going to a fully circular economy. Um, now, the UK in some ways is ahead of the curve of many other countries, but Scotland is kind of the, the leading edge of that, if I may say, in terms of uh, really taking sustainability to, to the next level. And it's not surprising that we're hearing of these, uh, these waste uh, regulations uh, being you know, pioneered in Scotland. And therefore, you know, what we hope will happen is we'll see some of the the pioneering platforms being developed there and creating a lot of benefit for economy that really deserves it. Um, I also like very much what you said about uh, the recycling of, of the heat in some of your other plants in North America to um, you know, supply this low grade heat, which is otherwise difficult to use for anything else, for greenhouses. And I'm sure there are other uses such as warming up tarmac and things like that, which I've, which I've heard of. So it's really a, a very, uh, a good example of a system, not just one application, but how a system 
can really extract the, the maximum benefit from something that was previously waste. And that really is the essence of the circular economy. You're absolutely right. And we're going to see more examples of this as we go forward. Um, we're fortunate we've got a very uh, good technical team. And as we develop the projects, we are looking for solutions for the community, the markets we serve, obviously, but also peripheral benefits. And I think this is going to be a continuing uh, evolvement as we go forward, uh, especially with the team we've assembled to make sure that uh, this is truly circular. We've gone as far as with traditional transformation of waste streams, which usually result in uh, ash or fly ash opportunities. And our engineering team has worked with the OEMs of the rotating kilns to uh, put an accelerant of the temperatures in there to take all the carbon and trace elements out of that ash, where we can even render that into a small pebble form that can be used for concrete block production, road fill, uh, or subsurface foundation to really make it a full circular economy of what we're doing on each and every one of our sites. And really, that's great for the business model as well, because you're developing these additional revenue streams. Um, right. Maybe you could just talk us through the economics of uh, the Scotland site, for example, because sure. you know, as a waste energy site with relatively uh, diversified set of uh, revenue streams, it's really one to, that's good to understand to understand how this business works, because it's not just about what you produce, but you actually get paid to take the waste. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in our Scotland model, it's a 27 and a half megawatt facility, um, again, designed for a 30 year life. And we uh, build a lot of redundancy in these systems. And that really comes from our team collectively. So our team comes from not only generation construction and operations, but also development and technical know-how. So we've built a lot of redundancy in this system that can operate much like a utility would expect its own power plants to operate. So we do have redundancy. They are a bit more expensive. However, it's more than offset because instead of buying a fuel source like traditional power plants, we're paid to take in our fuel source, the waste stream. So the 27 and a half megawatt facility uh, in pounds is takes 162 million pounds um, to, for the full capex on this project or 227 million uh, in US dollars. From a revenue standpoint, the key revenue drivers are the waste stream. Uh, so instead of gate or tipping fees being paid to landfill, those instead are paid to us to take and, and eliminate that waste stream. So we bring in um, the gate fees in this particular project, about 25 million pounds per annum. And then we sell the renewable energy, which we conservatively put at a base price uh, that is well below market or, or at the market where it was last year which is going to be about 11 and a half million pounds per year. Um, and then there will be the opportunity to earn carbon credits or regos in this case of just about 2 million pounds per year. Um, and these are all very conservative figures. We know by looking at future curves and 
analyzing the markets. The carbon credits in our models are based on bare minimums. Our revenue stream on energy is low compared to where renewable power will be by 2025. Um, so these are these are very conservative figures. So we have a, a revenue stream of 38 million per annum in pounds um, against the 162 million uh, capex for the plant. We achieve an EBITDA of about 28 million pounds per annum, 75%. Um, and then the net income, uh, uh, based on a fully a full model that would include a capex reserve amount, because in utility world, that's that's very important to make sure you don't have to go out achieve money for the major maintenance items that come up every seven years. Uh, so we fully bake that into the model. So our net income ends up around 38% at the end of the day. That's very impressive, uh, especially given uh, the amount of CapEx required that you're still able to generate that kind of net income. Um, to what extent are you able to get long-term contracts on the, the feedstock, the waste, as well as the, the energy output? How's that market shaping up right now? Shaping up very nicely. Um, originally, in the marketplaces, financiers really wanted to look for government-backed waste streams. But what has happened in the UK market, and Scotland in particular, is the advent of aggregators who are going out and securing those waste streams from a multitude of sources. And they have clients in the general regions. Um, these aggregators, uh, we have had offers from four aggregators for over 350% of our requirements on the feedstock side. We will be selecting one in, uh, to provide 100% of our waste stream, and it'll be for a 15-year contract, which will coincide with the power purchase agreement. Uh, that we have arranged for the offtake power. So the entire project will have full contract revenue streams for the first 15 years with an additional 15-year life beyond that that we could sell in the open market or direct to industrial or commercial customers thereafter. And that's got to help the bankability. So what kind of leverage do you expect to be able to put on the, the project, the, the asset itself? It varies. It varies right now, and we're in those discussions uh, right now. There's uh, a number of traditional firms that I say traditional in the energy space that would be very willing to go forward with a 30% equity into the project with 70% uh, debt on the, um, the remaining balance to, to build out the project. We also see opportunities with green bonds and or all debt financing, some creative structures are taking place right now. We're fortunate we've paid for the development of not only our Scotland project, but uh, the other projects in our pipeline to where they stand today. And we are finding that there is interest in providing full debt financing or mezzanine type financing with a bit of a convertible uh, for those who want to get into this market. Over the past 20 years, I've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs to build impact unicorns. In my experience, every company that has a transformative positive effect on the world 
does so by building strong partnerships with communities, investors and governments to solve society's biggest challenges. If you'd like to learn more about how innovative entrepreneurs can help to build a more sustainable and inclusive future, read my award-winning book, Powering Prosperity, A Citizen's Guide to Shaping the 21st Century. Well, it looks like the, the financing, the green financing is really catching up with, uh, with you as the entrepreneurial leaders or one of the entrepreneurial leaders. And that's really great to hear. Um, do you see, um, you know, a blossoming of the financing side of these Absolutely. Of green, green infrastructure? And, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing. Is it the last two years, the last year, the last two months? Where are we in that S-curve? I think we're at the... Uh, infancy stage, actually. I see that um, there's been a, a lot of interest in, in, in uh, markets that have existed or has been backed by subsidies or incentives by governments. So there's a lot of funds available out there for sources that are known, uh, solar, wind, um, hydro, those, those various sources. When it comes to waste conversion, it is just beginning to pick up. And I think there's, we're seeing more interest by funds as well as pension funds, insurance companies and alike stepping in now with ESG objectives and starting to find solutions. And they're starting to also recognize intermittent power generation is not the end all solution. There needs to be baseload power to underpin everything. So we're seeing more interests that have evolved really over the past three to four months on the international level. And I think this is going to continue on for a good while. After we have several of these projects up and running, um, we will be able to continue to bring these out to the insurance and pension or fund markets because it's a nice steady income, much like what they look to achieve over a long period of time, 15 years or greater. And we will match very well for what they're looking for. And that's a really exciting prospect. But what it means is, though, that uh, there has to be proven technology and proven executability here, because so much of what I see is, you know, in the, the sort of the sustainable infrastructure space, uh, technology investment, investment by venture, family offices, uh, even angel networks into interesting new technologies that take different amounts of time, maybe a few months, years, maybe several years to come to fruition, and they could do something transformative. But they're still at the technology development stage, whereas I think what you're talking about is a proven technology that's been deployed several times successfully before with a strong track record has a good supplier base, so there's no, you know, not much supply chain risk. People know where to get the equipment, how to install it and set up the plants. So there is a real pivot possible to funding the construction and then for larger investors to come in uh, who are more yield-seeking, seeking a yield on a waste energy plant, much as they would a wind or solar plant. You're absolutely right. Um, we are, we have purposefully look for tried and proven technology uh, and have looked at various different types. And our technical team, in, a, in addition to our commercial team, 
we collectively have deployed over four gigawatts of energy ourselves, either on other power forms of development, design, and or operations. So we've got a, a large uh, experience base to go out and evaluate the various technologies. What we have honed in on in our waste energy platform is a rotating countercurrent kiln gasification process. So it's an oxygen uh, deprived process, which helps uh, because it helps in the air emissions because it doesn't form NOx to the extent that an incineration plant would. And in the same regards, we've adapted it ever so slightly uh, for recirculation of flue gases, which actually helps in the long-term performance of these projects. Uh, the, the ability to take a commercial off-the-shelf air gasification process, which has really been around since the 1800s, is, is going to make a big difference in the financeability of these projects. Everything else, the sorting facility, uh, the turbines, the substation equipment, this is all commercial off the shelf. So uh, we do have an OEM manufacturer for, that we have identified for our rotating kilns and gasification island who will fully back and guarantee the performance. And then we will be seeking EPC partners basically to wrap the remaining uh, items on, on these projects. And so it offers exactly what inequity or debt providers looking for at the end of the day, guaranteed performance upon commissioning. Fantastic. Well, I think that's really a scalable future then. If you've got the technology, you're able to deploy it and the, the funding is there to back you at different stages of the cycle. So speaking of the cycle, where do you see yourself a year from now? What are the big milestones you're trying to hit? A year from now, we're well into construction on our first project in Scotland. Um, we are actively right now, uh, the, the, that project will take a full 18 months to build before commissioning. Uh, so we'll, we'll be well on the way uh, to substantial completion, getting, getting it ready for the commission, commissioning of that. Um, we are already in the process of filing all of our registration documents our Canadian project, which is much larger, and will uh, include the plastic conversion to fuel as well as waste energy. And we are in discussions with the provincial government to obtain all the necessary permits and the grant of the land and the rights to build the deep water port for that project. So we fully expect that we'll be at the point where we can begin the planning for the civil work on that project. In addition, we see a large market with industrial customers. And we are in discussions with three currently. Um, most of the industrial customers we are speaking to have a waste stream they need to get rid of. All three happen to be in a very similar industry where they're providing uh, repackaging of cardboard or biomass materials, but they need to separate out the plastics and the waste streams that come with it. So with their clients, they're under ESG um, reduction standards, and we will be able to take and avoid their waste going to a landfill and paying a tipping fee, these are in the US, and convert that into a boiler gas for them, 
and avoid uh, some of their gas consumption and in turn reduce greenhouse gases at the overall plant site. We expect those type projects to be very fast moving. Uh, they're smaller by nature, but it serves a distributive uh, philosophy of a circular economy within those industrial customer sites to do the right thing and to economically save them waste while achieving the greenhouse gas objectives. So we expect one of those projects to be well underway also a year from now. Well, that'll be uh, quite a, a, a large step forward indeed. And I'm just reflecting on the construction time, actually 18 months for what you're doing and relative to what a lot of new energy transition technology or industrial facilities take to build is quite a, a fast schedule, actually. It so is. If we're trying to have some real impact by 2030, which is uh, the ticking time bomb that uh, our scientists have told us from the IPCC, so every month counts. And an 18-month build cycle, especially with a large pipeline such as yours, you know, is set to make a, a swift impact, not just a big impact. It is. It is. And we're going we're gonna to see plenty of opportunities. The key for us is going to find the right EPC partners for the local markets that we're in, the right community partners from a permitting regulatory standpoint, and the right financial partners who want to replicate this because each of these projects is using the same technology built in series, so there's no technology risk on scale. And we can size around the appropriate uh, needs for each of these sites. Well, Keith, I wish you the best of luck. It's been fabulous to have you on the podcast, and I'm sure you'll have tremendous success going forward. And let's check in a year or so down the line, see how you're getting on. We would enjoy that. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Impact Unicorns, don't forget to rate and review this show by scrolling down and clicking rate this podcast. And join me next week as I talk to more inspirational entrepreneurs building the next generation of transformative companies.